One out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to Autographs. This is episode 19. Uh, as usual, I'm Tom Altuzuski, and today I'm recording with Joe Douglas. How you doing, Joe? Good, Tom. How are you? Good. So uh, we mentioned at the end of the last episode, we wanted to try maybe something a little different um, going forward. We're not sure if we're going to do this for every episode or maybe mix it in with some of our, you know, the style that we've been doing previously. But we wanted to basically take a little bit of a look at some specific players in this episode. Um, so Joe and I have some players lined up. We wanted to do almost a little mini profile on them. And then maybe we'll, um, you know, we'll talk a little more about how each of us sees them. Um, of course, since this is an auto new podcast, we're going to be talking a little more about auto new specific issues. Since, you know, if you want to just talk players, there's a million podcasts out there. So we're going to look a little more towards the auto new uh, side of value for these guys and how we see them um, not just performing, but having value for auto new teams. Uh, so why don't we uh, start with you, Joe, first, who's on your uh, list? Okay, so the first person I really wanted to mention tonight was Josh Bell. Um, the main reason for that is that currently Josh Bell only has first base eligibility. However, um, the past two games, Clint Hurdle has actually played him in right field. Um, so he has two of the five starts needed to maintain eligible or to gain eligibility in the outfield and keep it next year. Um, so that more than anything or. I don't want to say more than anything that Josh Bell has done, but is a huge boost to his value, at least in my eyes, um, because he would immediately go from being a utility or first base type to an outfield three or so. Um, so just looking at the projections, I guess, for what Josh Bell has done, we're looking at like a 320 Woba so far, and that's what um, is being projected by Steamer and Zips. However, um, his current production is around a 370 Woba, but there are a couple things I see. First, in his time in the majors, his plate discipline has been really good. He's walked 17% of the time uh, and only struck out 7% of the time, which is a really good ratio. However, I wouldn't expect that to continue, but it does line up with everything he's done in the minors where you can see his batting eye has really translated. Um, There are a couple other things that I see with him, though. One is that he is not pulling the ball. So right now, his center um, pull and opposite field... uh, Percentages are 24% pull, 30% center, and 46% oppo. That's a really high oppo rate. Um, And what typically happens with that is that um, players who have high opposite field power rates typically age better because they're less likely to be shifted. Um, So that's just something that I I see, even though it's been a small sample, he um, doesn't have... He only has like 67 plate appearances or 70 plate appearances, I think, at this point. But I um, I look at that and I think that bodes well for the future, where I, I would probably look at his 320 projection and maybe bump that up a little bit. Um, and even if he didn't get outfield eligibility over the rest of the year, even though I think it's likely that he will, I think that he's probably a strong utility play at this point for next year. So maybe someone uh, going into the offseason is selling a little low on him, especially if he doesn't get outfield. Um, if he's just a first base only guy, he might be worth buying um, going into next year. But Josh Bell is one guy that I really like. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, I've been interested in Bell all year. And I remember a couple of years ago, I think he had outfield eligibility because he was playing outfield in the minors. And then as he got closer to coming up to the majors, he lost that he only went to first base. It was kind of a bummer because it looked like this guy that could have been a really great outfield prospect was now going to be kind of a fringy utility, maybe lower level first base. So I think if he got outfield back and then, like you said, even if, you know, you split the difference between his 370 Woba in the majors and what's being projected around 320, even if he was like a 330, 340 outfielder, that's a really valuable player. And and that's a $15 outfield. Exactly. And anything he does above that will just be gravy at outfield. So. Yeah. And the other thing that's really interesting with him, too, is he's only swing, his swinging strike percent is only at 6%, which is way below league average. So I, I, um, I don't think he's going to have the same problem that a lot of uh, new rookies have with swing and miss. I, I think that he, he's going to make a lot of contact. And while he may not have the insane power totals, uh, there should be solid production there, especially in Fangraph's points league. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned swing and miss because the first guy on my list is a guy who has swung and missed a lot lately. <laughs> and that's Aaron Judge on the Yankees. Uh, disclaimer, I'm a Yankee fan, so I've been watching Judge, you know, especially these past couple weeks. Um and hopefully this isn't me, you know, bringing out. And I'm not a Yankee fan, so I haven't watched him much <laughs> at all. But. So, uh, and I mean, just just watching him, and I'm sure you know this, Joe. I mean, he's got crazy power. He hit a home run like way back in center field. Um, That's what happens when you're like eight feet right, tall. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the knock on him, of course, is that, you know, guys that are that tall tend to strike out. They tend to have a long swing that you can kind of exploit. But then when they make contact, they have a ton of power. Um, and we've seen that with Judge. You know, he came up and he hit a couple home runs right away. And then his strikeout rate is actually uh, over 40% since then, which, of course, is not good. Uh, but there's a couple of reasons that I I would still be either buying on him or just I still believe, you know, I'm not going to go cutting him or trying to trade him just for peanuts. I guess he can't trade anyone right now, but but you get the idea over the offseason. Um, and that's that, you know, I really feel like you saw a lot of progress in him every time he went from level to level. So if you look back, like when he was in AAA, he had uh, 11% walk rate, 8% uh, at AA right before that. Uh, and then he comes up and he it goes to 11% in AAA. He had a 28% strikeout rate in uh, AAA in 2015. Then he cut that back to 23 in 2016. Eunice, I think he's been the kind of guy over the course of his minor league career that he has often struggled when he first reaches a level or when he, you know, starts at a level and then he comes back for the next year. He's taken a step forward. So I wouldn't necessarily worry, especially because these kind of struggles, you know, are typical for a lot of players like him that, you know, he was striking out kind of around that 25 percent range in the minors, which is generally a, a fairly high strikeout guy. If they're striking out like that in the minors, they might strike out more in the majors. Um, so I think it's typical that he might kind of fall into a slump at the beginning of his career. Uh, but I'm definitely buying on him next year. The power is still there. It's like crazy powerful. Uh, and if you look at some of the projections, you know, they've got him. Uh, they're kind of widely split, but on average around a 300 on base percentage, you know, with a, a 430, 450 slug, depending on what you're looking at. In fact, Zips has him only at a 285 on base percentage, but a 450 slug. So I think he could be the kind of player where he's never going to hit 300, but I think he'd definitely be out of new valuable, especially considering most teams only own him at three or $4 right now. Uh, I think you might, based on this current slump, see some people say, all right, like I'm going to cut him loose and I might try and win it back next year. Uh, I would definitely keep. I think he's the kind of player that even if he, you know, just hit his 320 steamer projection next year, 
he's projected 312, 319, 315. So all kind of in that 310, 320. Even if he was a 320 Woba player, we just said before, you know, that a 330 might be a $15 player. I think he could easily outproduce that by a little bit and kind of be similar to Bell, be like a 330, 340 uh, if he starts to put it together. So I would definitely be keeping him, even potentially buying on him if somebody seems like they're, you know, going to sell low off the over the offseason. <laughs> so on Judge, one of the things that I think is really interesting, and this is just one of the names that comes to mind whenever people bring him up, at least to me, uh, is I think of Mark Trumbo. And for Trumbo, I think it yeah, was one I of those situations that. where um, – like Judge, it's a super high variance play where you can have the really good years like Trumbo's having now, but you also have the really bad years. Um, and I think that with with Judge, because the power is so insane, even if he did strike out 30% of the time, he's it, it's kind of like uh, Trumbo was an example. Another example would kind of be like Mark Reynolds, where he's still semi-usable even in those really bad years. So I think with Judge... Um, at least from my perspective, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be something where I would sell. I would just accept the fact that like you're going to get a w- really wide range of outcomes um, with him. Yeah, I, I totally so. agree with that. That he's the kind of player where you know sometimes he's going to make you want to tear your hair out because he's having a really bad week. Then next week he might come back and hit five home runs, and you know you're loving it. So it's actually funny that you mentioned Mark Trumbo because I've been a noted Trumbo lover over the years in Ottawa. I own him all the time, so maybe yeah. it makes sense that Judge is also a player that I like. <laughs> Well, and I think I think it depends too, like who you pair Judge with. So, for example, if you went Judge and you went Bell together, if both had outfield, I think Bell's going to have the much so safer profile. But I think Judge has a lot more upside um, if he decides to hit two seventy with forty bombs or whatever. Yeah, and even if he hits like two forty with forty bombs, he's still a fairly valuable player. <laughs> yeah, and he, I mean, no one hits forty bombs now. So yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like upper bound. But like, even if he decided that he was going to be a three fifteen woba guy, well, that's like a one dollar player, or two dollar player or so. But because you have a safer profile guy like a Bell, or if you went with um, like an Alex Gordon, for example, someone who's like just a steady, constant producer. Um, It'll kind of balance out where you can kind of accept that, you know what, Bell's going to be a little bit more risky, but I'm willing to take the upside if I diversify enough with the rest of my team. Yeah, and, and I think, too, I talk with um, with Justin a lot in the football podcast that how football is a weekly game where you have to be sure that you're not going to miss a game or, or screw up and lose a matchup. But out of new baseball is a season long game, you know, so you can afford to wait and let those struggles even out. You know, a lot of hot weeks versus a lot of cold weeks in football. It's a little different where. You have to think a lot more about consistency week to week. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So uh, do you want me to hop on to my next guy? Yeah, or, sure. Uh, okay. So one of the other guys I wanted to mention is Scott Shebler. Shebler uh, was included in the deal that sent Todd Frazier to uh, the White Sox, along with a bunch of prospects to the Dodgers, Trace Thompson, uh, Frankie Montas, who then went to the A's, and then uh, Jose Peraza back to the Reds. So he was in that huge mega deal. Um, he came up early in the year and didn't really do much. However, he came up beginning of August. They like sent him down to the minors, brought him back up. And since his call up, he's had 136 plate appearances and it's really gone under the radar. Um, you're looking at eight and a half walk rate under 20% strikeout rate, 175 ISO. The BABIP's not high. It's only 300. It looks pretty average. And you're looking at a 345 WOBA, um, so he's done pretty well since he's come back up. Um, I, part of the reason that I mention him is because he's a lefty. So you're going to get that left on right matchup with platoons, which is pretty favorable. So you know that you can play him a lot. The other thing is that he's on the Reds, so they don't have a ton of options as far as outfield depth goes. 
Um, so I feel pretty confident that he's going to get playing time. Um, I guess my thing with him is that I would um, be willing to take the gamble on him because, especially the rest of the year, he's kind of a guy like we mentioned um, Cardulo and Franklin last year. And I know we'll probably talk about Franklin again tonight, or last week, sorry. Um, but it, I don't think you lose much if you gamble on him. Obviously, he's hitting really well now, but I don't see a lot in his profile that really screams red flags. It's not like there's a 400 Babbitt or anything like that. It, if he was doing this all year, I wouldn't see, say say there was anything in the profile that really screamed uh, collapse was impending. So it, just a guy to keep an eye on. He's probably a little uh, lower on the totem pole than Bell or uh, even Judge for that matter. Um, but I'd definitely be willing to take a gamble on him over the final month. Yeah, I, I kind of like to that you mentioned his strikeout rate is under 20% uh, in this recent call-up. Because you know, I opened up his page. I, I wasn't necessarily paying too much attention to him. I opened up his page and immediately I saw 32.5 strikeout rate. And I said, oh man, you know, is he going to collapse? But I realized that 32.5 is what he did in a couple of games with the Dodgers last year. If you look at his track record in the minors, 18.5, 19.2, 19.6. It's totally believable that with just a little improvement, he could sustain under 20 pretty easily at the majors. Yeah, and even if you look at what he did earlier this year, his strikeout rate was a lot higher. He wasn't walking as much. Um, but it's really just been since he came up, I think it was like August 8th or so, he came back up to the majors. Um, and since then, he's been a solid outfielder. Um, yeah, and I think a lot I, of times you see this with young players where you know they might come up and get a cup of coffee and they don't look great. They might come up again a little bit, they don't look great. And then... You know, once they have been in the majors a couple of times, finally, they come up and they start to, you know, perform like their track record says. So, you know, they might struggle in a couple of those cups of coffee. Now, maybe we're seeing him kind of settle in and he's just kind of doing his thing. <laughs> uh, so the next guy I had lined up is um, another player that I've kind of been in on for a while. My, my three guys are really guys that I've been interested in the past couple of years. And I think all three of them now are kind of close to providing value. Um, the next guy I have up is Dan Vogelbach, who was recently traded from the Cubs to the Mariners. Um, now, on one hand, being traded to the Mariners sometimes is the kiss of death for uh, a young hitter. So, you know, fingers crossed that maybe he'll be the first one to defy that stereotype. Um, but I am feeling pretty good about him, I think. First of all, I, I don't really think there is much in his way. The Mariners have Deho Lee in front of them. They have Adam Lind, who I don't even know if Lind is signed through next year. I, I assume Lee is. Uh, but I I really don't think either of them are going to stand in Vogelbach's way if he starts to prove himself. You know, he could easily come up and kind of semi-platoon with them and I think win the job because I think he's the most talented of those three players. Um, but the other thing that makes me feel good about him is I feel like, you know, we saw him get traded to the Miners or to the Mariners, excuse me. And I feel like we've seen him almost go through that phase that some players go through where they struggle a little and you see them overcome it or you see them succeed in spite of the struggle. And, you know, just like we mentioned with Shebler, sometimes you see them come up to the majors and that happens and it takes them a year or it takes them a couple cups of coffee to figure it out. Uh, what's interesting to me is that since he's been traded to the Mariners, his batting average uh, has basically plummeted. He's only hitting 240, uh, you know, as opposed to hitting over 300 or around 300 in a lot of his previous seasons. Um, but his on base percentage is still there. He's still slugging uh, 182, which is in line with the rest of what he's done. Um, I think that he's really kind of shown that even when he faced some adversity, he was still able to uh, find a way to produce. And, and I'd be very interested to see what he does when he comes up, uh, which I assume will be in 2017 at some point. 
Um, the other thing is just that his walk rate and his strikeout rate, again, have improved kind of at each stop. Uh, he's at 19.5 last year, 18.4 with the Cubs this year, 17.2 with the Mariners. So he's improved over the course of the year. And at the same point, his walk rate has gone up. Uh, he's at 18.2 last year, a little bit lower with the Cubs in the beginning of the year, 15.1, but now 21.2 in the second half. So I really think he's kind of shown that ability to step forward and to hopefully take another step forward when he makes it to the big leagues next year. Yeah, so the next player I want to talk about is Nick Franklin. One of the big things for me, and this is kind of uh, common, I guess, in a lot of the players that I like, is uh, positional eligibility (laughs) and uh, players who are uh, acquiring new eligibilities. So that was the thing with Bell, and it looks like that will be the thing with Franklin. Uh, Actually, rather not... um, not acquiring new eligibility, but keeping shortstop for next year. So with Matt Duffy's injury, Franklin has started two games at shortstop. Um, he and started I think he, three now, actually. And he already had one. Um, so oh, that, that's is, what it is. He had one before. You're right. Yeah. So he is three-fifths of the way there. Um, so that, that in and of itself uh, is something to keep an eye on, specifically because he um, – just has a much lower bar to contribute and it allows him to keep eligibility at the worst position possible. So that is one thing that I like about Franklin. Another is that he is now showing power and he is striking out a lot less. So on the season, and this is the most time he's had in the majors since 2013. um, He's walking 7% of the time, striking out 22% of the time, but in the midst of that, he's also showing a 206 ISO. Um, So if he can keep any of that power, um, I don't think he's going to be the best play going forward as far as like a top 10 shortstop or anything, but the bar for a top 10 shortstop, um, I mean, this year it's been pretty high because shortstop's gone crazy or middle infield as a whole has gone crazy, uh, but historically hasn't been that high. And if he can happen to, uh, like he has six home runs this year, but if over a full season, he could get his way into like 20 home runs, 15 home runs. I think he could definitely pop into that, uh, back end of the top 10, um, and he's going to have a bunch of eligibilities too. So that's just something that I like about him. The other thing that I noticed was that uh, if you look at his 15-game rolling averages on Fangraphs for uh, Woba, basically since the middle of 2015, it's just been straight uphill. He's had some uh, adjustments to the league and the league's adjusted back and such. Like So you can see the bar going up and down and up and down. However, uh, since the middle of last year, it's basically been an upward slope the entire way. Um, so I, I, that at least for me, isn't something I look at too heavily, but at least shows some forms of improvements or adjustments, um, that he's been willing to look at like what the league's been doing to him and then kind of adjust. Um, so there's been some improvements there. He's showing power and it looks like he's going to get shortstop. Yeah. I really like Dick Franklin too. He's, I've actually, um, he's another player that I've been in on for the past couple of years and it's been a little frustrating. It's always kind of been like two steps forward, one step back with him, you know, so he had some injury problems. He had just some performance problems. He was kind of coming up and down um, to his various major league teams over a couple of years. And, and I think this um, really might be the time that he's finally put it together. He's got some consistent playing time. Um, and like you said, he's kind of in each of those stops, he's improved a little bit. Seems like this is the time that he's finally improved enough to stick. And I think now that he's playing consistently, I think he could um, keep that up. Uh, you know, and like you said, the, the bar for a top 10 shortstop isn't that high. But I think also, you know, you don't own just 12 shortstops. Even if he's only a top 20 shortstop, if he's like number 18 or 19, that's a really valuable player. You know, if you had Nick Franklin as your backup shortstop and to boot somebody that you could always, in a pinch, plug in at a bunch of different positions to help you. You know, we talk all the time about how you have to be aggressive starting players 
to make sure you don't reach your games cap, make sure you do reach it. So if you're on a team and, you know, maybe your first baseman or your second baseman or your outfielder has a day off and you just got to start somebody in a pinch, you can throw Nick Franklin into any of those spots. And I don't think he's going to embarrass you. You know, he might not be as good, obviously, as your starting first baseman. But for one or two starts a year, it, it's kind of useful to have somebody with so many positional eligibilities. Yeah. And if this power is for real, this kind of goes back to your point with Judge, too, where you want to make some high variance plays. You don't want your whole team to be super safe. Um, and especially with your bench slots, that's something that's really important. Because if you hit on one of those guys, it doesn't matter if the rest of them end up being cuts during the year. Um, it, it allows you to like capitalize really on like that upper bound of talent, which is the 20 home run, uh, 280 average season that you're hoping one of these guys can produce, you know? So I, I kind of like Franklin for that. The other thing that I wanted to mention with him though, is, um, just potential, uh, shortstop pairings for next year. If you didn't want to go expensive, we all know right now about like Machado, you're going to have Bogarts, you're going to have Seager, you know, like there are a lot of top guys. Lindor's going to be up there. Uh, and people are going to pay a lot for those positions, but there are two guys right now that I see Franklin being one of them. The other is Jed Jorko. If you could pair those two guys together, I would feel really comfortable with that being my shortstop spot. You know, I really like Jerko, too. And he's another one that I've the past couple of years, I keep drafting him and he kept disappointing me. And finally, this year, it looks like he's paying off. <laughs> well, and, and Jerko's already locked up shortstop for next year. And it yeah. looks like Franklin's going to get it, too. If I had both of those guys, what the way that I would handle it, you can probably get both of them for under five or their own for under five. You'd have to trade for them because they're probably going to be Jerko if he keeps up is going to be like a 10 to 12 dollar player next year but um if they both keep this up the only thing that you really have to worry about is them not having an everyday playing spot okay so if you have franklin and he gets a shortstop Jerko already has it um and you think okay both those guys have power they're going to have production uh when they're in but i'm worried that they might not play every day what you do is you then pair that with like a three dollar shortstop who plays every day like elvis andrews or somebody yeah, yeah. OK, you just, and you just plug play... him in when you need him. <laughs> exactly. OK, if you can do something or a Jurex and Profar, for example, if Profar takes the shorting stop, shorting uh, that nah, I'm mixing my words, the starting shortstop spot, he would be a guy that you could plug in there. You just want someone who's going to keep you above water on the off days so that you fill the game caps. But then you're going to plug in those power hitters like Franklin and Jorko. Uh, if Franklin's power is real, it looks like Jorko's is uh, on the days that they're in the lineup. And I think out of that, you could probably get a really good shortstop option and you're going to spend maybe 10 bucks at the position. So. Yeah, and, and one thing I was going to mention, we talked about this last week, about kind of being aggressive in these final weeks of the season, especially if you're rebuilding. It's possible. Um, Franklin, I think we've seen him start to get owned over the past couple of weeks. Um, while Jerko may have been owned for most of the year, but Franklin, I think you could easily go out and buy in a lot of leagues right now. In fact, I picked him up in a couple of leagues a few days before we talked about them last week, and I was happy that I got him before maybe some other people started to uh, find out about him or potentially hear the podcast. Yeah, um, I believe I uh, started some of those auctions, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I saw Don't some worry, Cardulo I'm not auctions too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, any of these guys, um, Vogelbach is another one that hasn't been owned in every league. Some people just kind of didn't see him as super valuable. These are some guys that you could go out and grab right now. And maybe not all of them hit next year. But if one of them hits or if one of them becomes, you know, a nice trade candidate over the offseason, this is something that a rebuilding team could do right now to generate some value at a time when the contending teams might not be interested in some of these players, especially I don't think a contending team is going to go, you know, try and auction Dan Vogelbach when they're trying to win. They might try and get Nick Franklin if they need to hit their games cap. But even then, they might just kind of 
pass on him. You know, if you just look at him at a glance, he's only got about 200 points in about 50 games. So just looking at him, if they weren't already interested, they're not necessarily going to have a ton of interest. Um, You can maybe go out and sneak him right now and get some sneaky value like that. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that I really like about Otto New, and this will tie into the last player that I want to mention, but just that, like, the the quality of player that we're talking about, these are your 35 to 40 roster yeah. <laughs> type players, okay? But those are really the players that, are, like, have a chance to pay off, okay? They're your $1 players, $2 players right now, and you're hoping they can be a $10 player, okay? Um, if they don't, you just cut them in the offseason. No big deal, Yeah. okay? Um, but even within the last month, there is opportunity that you can have some of these guys vault their value, maybe 5 to 6 bucks going into the offseason. Worst case scenario, you don't plan on keeping them. You can just trade them. Um, but it brings up a lot of names of guys that you're like, why are we talking about this player? No one else is, um, or very few people are. If you're in a standard, like 12 team mixed league, you're not going to be worried about some of these guys, about Um, any of these guys, probably. Yeah. (laughs) But in auto new, you will, because auto new is awesome and has really deep rosters. So (laughs) the the last player I want to mention, I don't have as much to talk about with this guy, but he's a guy I've been watching for most of the year. And I know Trey has too. We've talked about him a lot in brinksmanship. Um, but I want to start this off with a question. Do you right now? There's four relievers who are striking out 15 per nine innings. Okay, um, so I I don't know if you could name any of those off the top of your head. Hmm. Uh, if you can't, that's fine. So, uh, just give me. Let me see if I can guess any of them. I pr- I probably won't honestly. Um. Yeah. And I mean, I'm gonna guess. You know, I I would guess guys like Chapman or Batances, but I don't think they're that high. I think Betances they're like in the 12 range. Okay. Batances is one of them. Batances is at 15.64 per nine. Okay. Okay. Um, Chapman is at 13.5, so he's down. Right, so, I, say, I thought Chapman was more like in the 12 range, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so you – so I mean, when 15 I mentioned, is really high. Like 12 yeah, is only, high and 15 is nuts. <laughs> yeah, there's only four guys who have done it, okay? And that's Edwin Diaz, who's been mentioned in a lot of sleeper articles. A lot of people really like him as a new elite reliever for next year. You have Batansis and you have Andrew Miller are all at 15. I, I was about to guess Miller too. Okay. The only name that uh, I didn't mention of that group is Dario Alvarez. Okay. Uh, Dario Alvarez is actually second. He is at 15.72 strikeouts per nine. Edwin Diaz is first at 15.86. So he's striking out almost as many guys as Diaz. However, Diaz is walking 3.21 per nine. Dario Alvarez is only walking 2.4 per nine innings, okay? Um, Now, granted, Diaz has pitched 20 more innings than Alvarez has, and Alvarez doesn't have a starting role, okay? Um, But he's a guy I would keep in mind because the Rangers traded for him. I think this was in the Lucas Harrell deal with the Braves. Um, And he's someone I would not, especially if I'm not a competing team, it's really easy to have uh, relievers that you don't plan to keep for next year. He's a reliever that I wouldn't, I would pick up and then just stash on my roster and see what happens over the rest of the rest of the season. It helps right now that since he's gone over to the Rangers, he has allowed a couple home runs, um, but his xFIP is still two forty five. His ERA and FIP are both over three and a half. So it kind of allows you to look at it and say, okay, well he hasn't been performing well, but I can buy speculatively. I was going to mention that this might be a good time to buy him, too, because he allowed a couple home runs. People might look at him and say, eh, you know, uh, I don't buy it. I think that was just regression. But that that's exactly yeah. like we said. This is the perfect time to buy a guy like that, because if it is just regression and it turns out he does stink, you just cut him in a month and it doesn't matter. Or sorry, you cut him in six months, but in a month you might know that you're going to cut him. 
Um, but <laughs> if it turns out that he's a hit, you'll be glad that you spent a couple dollars on him now when, you know, what else are you going to spend your money on right now? Like the best thing you can do is try to pick up some guys and just see what you get. Yeah, and he's in that Rangers bullpen that has a lot of options, but it doesn't feel, at least to me, that like anyone's really solidified their spot in that uh, hierarchy. So I, I would be holding, or if I've already started an auction for him in a couple of leagues, but if, if I don't have him, um, he would be a guy that I would consider filling my last relief pitcher spot going into the offseason, just on speculation that something could break right. So that's all I have to say about him. But yeah, I think he's definitely an interesting name. And and like you said, some of these guys are are guys that in any other league, you know, you'd be crazy if in your ESPN league you picked up Dario Alvarez. But uh, but in Adenu, these are the guys where if he's even a five dollar player next year and you can pick him up for three, you know, that's a couple bucks surplus and he could be your seventh reliever. And he's got upside for more than that. Yep, I completely agree. All right. So the last player I had on my list here is uh, David Dahl, who kind of fits into the same uh, category of some of my other guys, players who have been taking a step forward kind of at each level, and now they've made it to the major leagues. Um, Dahl, of course, is probably, uh, I think, the highest prospect level of the three guys I mentioned. Judge kind of came on recently, but Dahl was always considered a pretty high top prospect through the past couple of years. Um, and he's having a lot of success at the major league level. He's hitting over 300. Um, his on-base percentage is 371, and his slugging over 500. Um, I think... He's a, another example of a player where people might look at him and say, I don't think it's sustainable because his BABIP is 412. So I, I, <laughs> it's I don't not sustainable, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I obviously I don't think he's going to keep performing at this level. What I do think is that he's an example of a player that I don't buy that he's going to fall all the way down to maybe where the projections have him. And I think that's sometimes where there's an example of a place that you can get value because other people think he's going to fall totally off. And I think he's going to just kind of regress to the middle. Projections have him kind of a 310 to 320 range for the end of this year. And I would assume for next year, Um, I think he could definitely be just kind of like we talked about with Bell, more of like a 330, 340 Wobble player, just because, again, we've seen him over the past couple seasons improve some of his stats. You know, at double A this year, he had a 25% strikeout rate. Then he moved up to triple A. It's only 16 games, but he pulled that down to 16%. Um, So just looking at him in the major leagues, again, he's striking out about 25% of the time. I would not be at all surprised to see next year if he's able to improve that a little and get down to maybe 20%, which is, you know, that's where he was in 2015 in double A. Um, and you know, this is going back further to 2014, you know, where he had 15 and 20 in a couple seasons. Uh, but I could easily see him, um, getting down to about a 20% strikeout rate. And I think he's got a lot of upside in his walk rate as well. He's only walking uh, 7% in the majors this year. And in the minors, he was at 8.8%, uh, and 11.7% earlier in the year. So I think there's some room for him to grow in those good categories. Um, and I think you know he's already hitting great. Even if we see some regression, I think that will be balanced by him adjusting a bit and actually boosting some of his peripherals. So I think we could see him kind of split the difference and still be a really valuable player. Um, you know, and and I, I will just mention he plays in cores too. I was so, going to say if you don't mention that, like that's that's the biggest thing, <laughs> right? I, so so if he, you know, maybe if he would regress to be a three ten wobble player somewhere else. He could easily be a 330 Woba player in cores. That's why I think 
some of these projections projecting him to fall down to 310 or 320 in cores, I think that's a little too light. And I think he's going to be able to do a nice chunk more than that going forward. Yeah, I mean, cores made Ben Paulson auto new relevant for more than a year. So right, uh, and, and I think um, I think Dahl Paulson is the perfect example to bring up. I think people are looking at Dahl and saying he might just be Paulson that he's going to fall back apart. But the prospect pedigree is there. The examples there in his numbers. I think he could sustain that kind of success instead of just falling off. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I like Dahl. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, I mean, unless there's anybody else you wanted to mention, that's kind of the end of our list. I think this is great. You know, I was worried a little that we were not going to have that much to talk about. But with just six players, I mean, we put together a 45 minute podcast. So I think, um, you know, I know Trey had some guys he wanted to talk about. And I think Justin will be into this. I think we'll try sticking with this format for a couple episodes going forward. Maybe we'll um, switch back and forth. We'll do some player specific stuff. We'll also, of course, talk about some end of season arbitration and some off season stuff. And we'll maybe mix it up over the off season and talk about some more of these players that we think you should be aware of, or maybe in the off season players you might target in trades. So what the listeners should do then is they should let us know if there's any players they want us to look at. Yeah, then, absolutely. Uh, if they post that, then we can look at those players and this will just be a friendly conversation. So yeah. And, and go ahead. Um, you can post that on the auto new community. Um, if you're on Slack, you can post it in there. You can tweet any of us. You can get our, our Twitters in the article there. Um, any of that. And if, if somebody is interested in hearing about a certain player, we'll take a look at them. Sounds good.